You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We are talking about the uh, the last words that Jesus spoke. These aren't the last words of his life. These are the last words that he spoke on the cross. For though he died, he rose again. So this is important. He actually had a lot more to say after he rose again from the grave. But these are the last words of Christ on the cross. And uh, they're probably some of the most precious words that Jesus spoke and that were recorded. And the cross is more than a piece of jewelry, a work of art, or a symbol of suffering. It is violent. It is ugly. It is bloody. It is brutal. And it is beautiful. And it is also a place of redemption we're going to find today. The cross is the is the most important message of the entire Bible. And to a believer, it is the core, it is the central message of, of why we speak and why we gather and why we meet. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth, he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And with the cross comes the resurrection. That is the message together. The cross, you see, he rose again from the dead. And the cross is is proof of his death. And what we've been doing is we've been kind of unpacking that, that experience. And we're walking our way to Easter. We're walking our way to the resurrection. Go back with me. It's Friday in Jerusalem. The smell of death is in the air inside the walls. Of the city, lambs are slit open, their necks, blood poured out upon an altar to remember the freedom that was given to them from the Egyptians when they were slaves thousands of years earlier. And outside of the town, just north of the Damascus gates at a place called Golgotha, which is Skull Hill, a crowd gathers to view a public execution of three men. The event was usual, but the day was anything but usual. It was different because one of them, one of the three, was an innocent man. And he was no ordinary criminal. He did not murder anyone. He did not steal from anyone. He did not abuse or deceive anybody. In fact, he was not guilty at all. An innocent man executed between two criminals. Let's read it in Luke 23, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals. Different translations there. Some translations say thieves. Some of them say robbers. Some say bandits. But the literal translation is professional criminals. People who didn't just break the law, but people who were basically professional and lifelong criminals. We're going to talk about who they are in a minute. They were also led out with him, with Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And last week, we we took apart this passage right here. We're spinning several weeks on the sayings of Christ, and this is this is the first one we looked at last week, that in the midst of his torment, in the midst of his torture, 
In the midst of his persecution, he cried out, Father, forgive them. Fulfilling Isaiah 53, 12 that says he was counted as guilty, though he was innocent. Verse 35 says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him and they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God, if he is God's Messiah, if he is the chosen one. You know, we do the same. We do the same. We say, God, if you're who you say, God, if you're really the Christ, if you're really the Messiah, Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, you'll bail me out of trouble this week. You'll help me get that job. Jesus, man, I I put my trust in if you're really who you say you are, you're going to heal my body. If you're really who you say that you are, I'm going to get that that grade. I'm going to get that relationship figured out. I'm going to get this. We do the same. We are accusers in many ways. He says, verse 36, Luke is writing, he says, the soldiers also came up and mocked him and they said they offered him wine vinegar, which is cheap, sour wine. It's, it's the lowest quality wine. It's mixed with water and vinegar. And, uh, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are, prove yourself. There was written above him, I noticed it, which read, the king of the Jews. Now, a notice above who they were executing was actually quite normal. This wasn't different for Jesus. There was most likely that all three of them probably had a sign over their cross as well. His was a declaration of, of his title as he said he was king, that he was the Messiah, and his arrest was an attempt to control his influence among the Jewish religious authorities and among the Roman authorities. So who are these criminals? They're not simply thieves. And I want you to, I want you to know this, that those aren't just a couple of hoodlums. They're not just a couple of guys who, who got in trouble and, uh, you know, were caught out back smoking pot or something. These guys were professional criminals. Luke uses a word that is quite intense. The word means cutthroat men who killed for profit. These were not just men that stole. These were men that stole lives. These are people that were paid assassins. History tells us that these men might have been political revolutionaries who violently conspired against the Roman government. And so as a result of their violence and their their murderous assassination ways, they were convicted of murder and sentenced to execution. Now their specific crime we do not know. Some traditions say that these two guys might have been brothers. We do not know. But they were supporting players in the greatest story ever told. Luke 32, uh, chapter 23, verse 32 says, Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there among Uh, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Both the criminals, both are guilty, both sentenced to die, both stripped naked, both nailed to a cross, just like Christ. Both were covered in blood and dirt and both knew Jesus. Because what we're going to find here is though you could not tell them apart just by looking at them, one of them was about to have his life 
change. You're going to find that one was a man who wanted escape and not forgiveness, and one who wanted forgiveness, not escape. One was to become the very first human on earth saved. Luke records a conversation between these three crosses, between these three men. Now, I want you to realize that crucifixion makes it almost impossible to speak. For as they are laying there, hanging there on the cross, now they're, they're hanging down. Now, there's believe that sometimes they would tie their arms up to it so that they would at least have some sort of support because oftentimes their arms, their hands could not support the weight of their bodies. So they would tie them, they would tie their bodies, their legs, and then nail them and impale them to the cross. But as they hung there, to breathe was torture. For they had to pull themselves up through the, through the nails in their hands. They had to pull themselves up just to breathe. In fact, most people died on the cross through a collapsed lung, through uh, a failure to have air. And they would have to pull up just to breathe and just to speak. So I want you to imagine that this conversation was not, hey, Jesus, you know, hey, what's up? You guys, uh, it was struggle and just to speak was torture. But these men had a conversation. These men began to talk to each other. Every word. And one was so bitter, he used his very last words to mock Jesus. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? The literal there is, if you are the Messiah... He is taking the place of the crowd. He is saying the same thing those, those Roman soldiers already say. If you are the Messiah, if you're who you say you are, save yourself and us. He's mocking Jesus. He said, ha, look at you. If you're really the Messiah, do something about it. I'm going to give you the heart of three people. The heart of the hurting, the heart of the broken, and the heart of of the king. This first guy, the heart of the hurting, I want you to write this down. The first criminal only had blame and selfishness in his heart. And I want you to write this down. Hurting people try to hurt others. All he had was pain and bitterness and anger. If you are the one, save us both. Get us out of here. But look at you. Look at you. You call yourself a king? <laughs> Using his last words to mock Jesus. These men knew of Jesus. These men didn't just show up into town and happen to be crucified with Jesus. They knew of Jesus' life. They knew of his ministry. They knew that he claimed to be the Messiah. They knew of his teachings and his words and of his miracles. They might have even sat in the presence of some of his teachings over the last week or even year. There's Because of the knowledge that that this thief uses, both of them, to refer to Jesus, there is no doubt these guys had full knowledge of who Jesus was. They would have also had been near Jesus during that whole trial. They would have been in the cell next to Jesus. They would have been looking out from the chains, watching the crowd conspire and shout, crucify. They walked the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering through the city of Jerusalem with Jesus. 
they heard his cry of forgiveness to his tormentors saying, Father, forgive them. Moments earlier, this man knew Jesus. He knew of Jesus. He knew his words, his teaching, his life. And like him, you might know a lot about Jesus. And like him, maybe you've sat in some church services. Or maybe you have the answers to all the Bible questions, but your heart is far from him. And you know what? They had every right to be bitter. Here's two men that were angry at Rome for oppressing them. They were angry at the violence that the Roman authorities were subjugating their own people, their family, their lives on. And and most of the people who find themselves in jail or in prison have dealt been dealt a pretty difficult hand in life. I'm going to just put it that way. The majority of men in prison, something like 80% of them grew up without the influence of a positive father figure. Large numbers of criminals and men have been in abusive families or have problems with addiction and relationships. These are two men that possibly on the inner side of Christ were probably dealt a pretty bad life. They had every reason to be mad because this is all it gave them. Death at a young age. Though one was bitter, the other says this, but the other criminal rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, he says, man, you're about to see God, man. Aren't you, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid? We're not going to make it out of this alive. In the next few minutes, we're both going to be dead. Aren't you afraid of God right now? Verse 41 says, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. See, the criminals knew Jesus was innocent. Then he said, I like this. This is a criminal's one last final appeal to the, to the Supreme Court of the universe. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Some translations put it a little bit more accurately. It's Jesus, remember me when your kingdom comes. You see, he was looking at a future day that possibly Jesus in that future when your kingdom comes comes when your returning reign begins in the future, whatever that is, whenever that is, remember me. See, this man, seeing Jesus stripped, beaten, and bloodied, somehow saw the king of kings in his coming kingdom. There was never a time in the life of Christ when he looked less like a king. But yes, somehow, this man, looking at the bloodied, naked, torn up body of Christ, saw the eternal king. He says, Jesus, remember me in your future kingdom. And Jesus gave him something more than he bargained for. This is how Jesus answered. He says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's the next statement that we're going to be talking about this week. Today, Truly, the truth is, you can take this to the bank. You will be with me today in paradise. Now, what just happened there? You, you read this and I'm, what? 
This man is a criminal, a lifelong, conspiring, violent man. How did this, did this man all of a sudden get entrance into heaven? Really? I want you to know what set apart this man. The heart of the broken man was this. I want you to write this down. There's a few things that took place in the heart of that man. He says to his friend, he says, don't you fear God? Man, we're about to meet our maker. And there's a real God and and he is holy and he is a righteous. Here's what that man did, that broken man. He was humbled before God. He was facing death. He knew he was about to face God. Was there ever a more desperate moment for those men? Brutally crucified, guilty, justly punished, no chance of getting down, nailed to a cross, death and eternity, just a few breaths away. He was humbled by God. This man was broken. He was humbled. God is real. I want to ask you something today. Are you humbled by the power and might of God? Do you realize the mighty hand of God and that he is real? You cannot know him unless you do. Here's the second thing. He says, he says, we're punished justly. We're getting exactly what our deeds deserve. The second thing that he did is he recognized and he confessed his sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin is a willful, deliberate, frontal assault on a holy God. And he recognized and confessed his sin and guilt. Do you and have you recognized your sin? Do you realize that you are a sinful person? Do you realize that you are a broken person and that you have offended God? Because unless you understand that you have offended God with your life and your sin, and whether it be in your heart or your actions, then you can't know God. Do you recognize your need for forgiveness of God and have you confessed your sin? Here's the next thing he did. He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, remember me in your kingdom. He acknowledged and he understood who Jesus was. This is key. Not only did he realize that Jesus was innocent, that he was sinless, that he was perfect, but he acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. And for a Jewish person to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah is saying that Jesus is God is saying that Jesus is holy. He is the anointed one. He is the promised one. He is the savior. And he says, Jesus, you're innocent. You're perfect. You're holy. And you are God with us. Remember me. He understood who Jesus was. And it's important that you understand who Jesus is. If you want to have a relationship with him, you can't believe that he is a creation. If you want to be in relationship with him. You can't believe that he is one of many gods if you want to have a relationship with him. Do you understand who Jesus is? You know, it reminds me, uh, we went a few weeks ago to uh, the Passion Conference in Houston with some of our young adults, had a great time. And uh, man, the Spirit of God was there, man. Before the first session even started, man, that place, you could tell, had been prayed over. And before that first note was played, man, we, the room was alive with people ready to worship God. It was, it was exciting. And I, and I remember we got there and we were, you know, we, we, you know, we drove from Dallas. So we were kind of had to go to our room and we were getting in. Our seats were in the dead back row. Uh, not dead, meaning a dead area, because I tell you what, the whole place was alive. There wasn't a dead seat, but I mean like dead last, like in the back of the back. 
And uh, so much that it makes Nicole queasy. So, I mean, she has, I mean, it's like that arena there was like, it's like you could get on a slide and slide right down to the ground. Of course, probably die, but you could do that. But I remember we were looking for seats and I walked out of this curtain area on the very, very back, 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 back. And there's a concession stand guy. And there's a guy standing there, just a sweet guy, you know, replacing the napkins right where the you know, ketchup and mustard is, right, for the for the concession area. And I'm walking out looking for a group, and I walk out, and he walks up to me out of the blue and says, what do I need to do to become a Christian? Just like that's that's the spirit and power of God moving in a place. The employees, and I remember my answer to him was, do you understand who Jesus is? Do you need to understand that Jesus is? Is who he says that he is, that he is truly God in the flesh. I told him, you need to understand that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again from the grave. And becoming a Christian means that you're acknowledging his forgiveness and that you are declaring your life as a follower of Christ and acknowledging him as king of Lord of your life. And I said, it's not about going to church. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Saying a prayer doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. It's do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand your need for forgiveness? Do you understand that he has the power to forgive? And will you follow him? I said, and I told him, I said, tonight, just listen to the speakers, spend some time talking with God about those things, and you'll know that you are a follower, that you are a Christian. And it's a very simple message, really. And the man on the cross next to Jesus, he understood who Jesus was. And then he says this, after he knew Jesus says, he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, he called out to Jesus. This is the next thing he did. He realized his need for salvation and he turned to Jesus. He didn't turn to Oprah. He didn't turn to, you know, Dr. Phil. He didn't turn to chicken soup for the soul. He didn't turn to the self-help section of Barnes and Noble. He didn't turn to Allah. He didn't turn, even though Allah wasn't around yet, the teachings of Muhammad hadn't been there for 600 years till after Christ is when they showed up. He didn't turn to the ancient teachings of Hinduism. He turned to Jesus. He called out to Jesus. He says, you are the only one who can save me. Have you turned from yourself? Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus? There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called repenting. It's when you turn from yourself and you turn to Christ. You see, when you go to the doctor, sometimes you don't really know what's wrong. You just know something's wrong, right? You ever been in it and you got something, you got a virus, you got a cold, you're not really sure what it is, or maybe you got a pain in your leg or your arm or your heart's beating really hard. You don't know what it is, but you know a doctor could give you some help. You don't know what you need, but you know you're in need. And then when you go to the doctor, if you have a good one, he'll tell you, this is the problem and this is the fix. You see, sometimes coming to Jesus is just as simple as that. You don't realize what you need. You just know you're in need. You, you may not know what the answer is, but you know who the answer is. And at that moment, that man on the cross, he had no idea of the complexities of the scriptures that were to come. He did not know the story, the history of the Messiah and the making through the Old Testament. 
but he knew he needed a physician and he knew he was sick in heart. He knew he was sick in his soul. He knew he was sick in sin and he turned to the only one that he knew that could save him, the great physician Jesus, and he turned to him. And he asked for help. And then he said, Jesus, remember me. This is imperative. He said this. I want you to write this down. He trusted his life to Jesus by faith. You see, that was a declaration. By faith, he called out and believed that Jesus would secure his eternity. By faith, I have to ask you, have you trusted Jesus with your life and your eternity? Have you turned to Christ and said, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the King, that you are God on earth. I understand I have a need. You see, what happened in that dark man on that dark day was miraculous. For by faith, he was humbled by God. He confessed his sin before Jesus, the Messiah, and he trusted his eternity to Jesus, the King. Have you done that? Because that's the heart of a broken man and a broken woman. He said, Jesus, remember me in your future kingdom. Jesus gave him more than he bargained for. And he said, truly, today, Jesus answered, truly, you can take this to the bank. I tell you today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. He said, man, this isn't a future kingdom day. This isn't you're going to go into some deep sleep. This isn't a possibility that maybe you'll find out after death. This isn't your eternity. Well, you're just going to have to wake up on the other side and see if you're in hell or not. He said, no, today, I want to tell you, you're still breathing air. And today, I want you to know that this very moment right now, you're going to see me later on today in heaven. You're going to see me. Truly today, I want you to hear the heart of the king. Let's talk about Jesus' response. And this is the first thing I want you to realize, that Jesus declares very clearly that heaven is for real. Heaven is for real. Now, I don't need a children's book or a movie to tell me. Jesus told me through his scriptures, heaven is for real. Guys, by the way, read more of this and less of some of that silly stuff. This is what you need to know to know about God. Sometimes books can be inspiring and helpful, but we need to make sure that we're getting our truth from the scriptures for Jesus says heaven is for real. Jesus says, truly, there is a heaven and you're going. The criminal was the first man to be able to walk into the, into the gates of heaven on the streets of gold. You see, before Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that no one was able to go to heaven. You know why? Because regardless of what was done on earth to cover their sin, they were still dead in their sin when they died. All those lambs, all those sacrifices, all those ceremonies that they did just covered their sin in this life and withheld the wrath of God in this life. It did not secure their place in heaven in the afterlife. That's why Jesus had to come. He had to die once. He was the lamb of God that was slain once and for all. He was the perfect, spotless, innocent lamb that when he died, no longer did anything else have to be taken for our sake because only one could truly cover that. And before Jesus died on the cross, 
all those men and women of God who we read about in the Old Testament, they went to a place that the Old Testament calls paradise. It's a word used about three times in the New Testament. And in the book of the Gospels, like in Luke, paradise is a reference to the place where the righteous dead go. It's not heaven. It's a place where those that have died that are righteous before God, according to the law in the Old Testament, they would go there and it was a place of blessing, awaiting for true freedom. Jesus said, I'm going to see you in paradise later. And you are the first person truly saved because my cross, you're the first person to benefit. I think this is pretty amazing that the first saved person was a criminal, a vicious, violent, vile, hated criminal. It says a lot about the heart of God. This paradise is a place where the righteous dead went before Jesus, but after the resurrection of Christ, the New Testament begins to use the word paradise to refer to heaven. In Revelation, it uses that word, and so does Paul use that word. Here's a few things that this verse tells us about eternity. I want you to write some of these things down in your margins. That Number one is that Jesus didn't go to hell to duke it out with Satan. A lot of people think, man, uh, in, the, uh, in the 90s, there was a song by a guy named Carmen. I don't know if you guys remember that, you know. <laughs> and in the vi- there's a video, and Jesus dies, and he's in a boxing ring, duking it out with the devil, taking blows, boo, boo, boo. But on, after three days of boxing it out with the devil, it was a knockout round, boo, and he, and he rose again. Hallelujah, he won, he won. You know, it's, the song is like, yeah, but it's so wrong. And we used to do like these human videos to it. That means where you play the song and you act it out. And we'd have people boxing it out with Satan. Oh. You know, it's just bad theology because that's not what happened. The Bible says, I'm going to see you in paradise. I'm going to see you where the righteous dead go, a place of blessing. And, and uh, my work on the cross is what defeated the devil. I don't need to duke him out for three days. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have to go to the depths of hell. Um, now, there is a creed that the early church speaks of, and it says where he descended into hell. The word there, hell, actually is the word Hades, which means the place of the dead. So if you read some of the old creeds of the church, that word Hades is often translated hell. I want you to know that because the church from the very beginning never, ever taught Jesus duked it out was Satan. He won the knockout blow on the cross. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks when we get to the phrase, it is finished. He descended into the realm of the righteous dead and he set them free. Here's another thing this verse tells us that at the moment of death, the believer is in the presence of Jesus. There is no soul sleep in the Bible. Some of you came up in a background where the the belief of soul sleep, there's a lot of debate over what happens when you die, that you go into this state of sleep until the return of Jesus. And how do we know? We don't, we know because Jesus said today, I'm going to see you in the afterlife. I want you to know this because this is important. Those of you that have loved ones that are believers in Christ, I want you to have complete and full assurance that they are in the presence of Jesus right now. They're not asleep waiting for that day. But if you have lost someone who is a follower of Christ, you have have peace there with Jesus. Jesus is telling us heaven is for real. The Father sent Jesus to reveal the reality of life after death and to secure us a place in heaven with him. John 14, two and three, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and get you so that you may go there with me. Heaven is not in this life. 
Heaven is not here. Jesus says, it's there. This is important that we realize that, you know, heaven is a <laughs> what's that? What's that song? Heaven is a Come on, help me out. 80s. Yeah, heaven isn't too far away. Yeah, yeah. Heaven isn't too far away. You know, um, they're talking about heaven on earth is when I'm with you, baby. Oh, yeah. This is heaven. Well, if, if heaven's here, then you may not know the heaven there. If there's anything good here, the Bible says it's, it's just a glimpse of heaven. Every good and perfect gift that you experience is from the Father above. It's just a taste of what is to come. This is not heaven. Some of you should be very happy about that because your life is not heaven at all. The world is a way station. It is a foreign land. This is not our home. The afterlife is more reality than this life. We are limited in our ability to see this. Think about it. If you want to see planets, you need a telescope. If you want to see the inside of the human body, you need an x-ray. If you want to see a living cell, you need a microscope. If you want to see heaven, you need to see Jesus. Heaven, according to Jesus, is a place of freedom and joy, beauty and life. In 2 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul says, it is far beyond our imagination. What we can even imagine, heaven's that and more. Here's the second thing that Jesus tells us about heaven, the heart of a king, is that as long as your heart is beating, it's never too late. He says, truly, I tell you right now, even though you've got like minutes left, it's not too late. You're never too old. You're never too far gone. You're never too dirty. You've never done too much. It's never too late as long as your heart still beats. Even a wasted life can have eternal life as long as your heart is still beating. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I, ha- I had an older brother. He passed away. The year that I had cancer in 2009, he had cancer also, and he died of his cancer. He had throat and tongue cancer, and he'd been battling it for several years, and it had pretty much taken over the bulk of his, his uh, face and neck, and it was uh, taking over the inside of him. And uh, he was this person that I grew up with that I, I gave my life to Christ. I did as a teenager, and he never did. And in fact, he went so far in the opposite world. I mean, he, was, uh, he did professional <laughs> drug. Um, he, well, let me put it that he was dealing drugs by sixth grade, and, uh, and, and then when he was an adult, he basically was a drug dealer his whole life, uh, running meth, uh, living in St. Petersburg. And he, was, he ran meth to, uh, to Fort Lauderdale and uh, to Miami. That was part of what he did for a living. And he also ran his own pornographic magazine. Uh, here, this was a guy who every time we talked, I thought I was going to get punched in the face because he would get so violent, so loud, and so emotional that we just were like walking on eggshells to be around him. And, but I was always praying for him, always believing that God would somehow break through this hard-hearted man. Well, it might have taken cancer because I remember just before he died, uh, we, I flew out to Florida, me and cancer, with cancer, he with cancer. We had a picture of us, both bald heads with our arms around each other. And, and I remember it was like he was soft-spoken. He was gentle in spirit. He was calm. He was open to talking about God, about Jesus, about spiritual things, usually things that would make him infuriated. And I began to sow seeds into his life, 
praying that God would give him an, an opportunity, and I gave him a chance to pray, but he just kind of looked at me, and you know, I just trusted that the Lord was working in his heart. And we were gone, and just a few days later, uh, he, the, the day of his birthday, he, uh, the day after his birthday at 42, he died. And uh, I, he had this, <laughs> I hope she's not listening to this, he had, he had this crazy girlfriend, <laughs> Uh, and they broke up because they were both too crazy for each other. And um, she ended up giving her life to Christ, and she never gave up on Tim either. And so she would come around and try to get him to go to church and stuff, and he was, he would, you know, he thought she was even more crazy then. Well, she was there at the hospital, and she called me that day, and she, you know, after I had talked to my sister and everything, he, she talked to me. She said, I want you to know that minutes before he died, I led him in a prayer to receive Jesus. Now, I wasn't there, and she is a little crazy. I don't know what she prayed with him, all right? I don't know if she, if she said, rub your belly and pat your head, and you're, you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know. But I thought to myself, you know what? There's a possibility that I might see my brother in heaven. Because as vile as his life was, as wasted as he was with his life, It's never too late to give your life to Christ as long as your heart is beating. And I remember her telling me that. She was in tears. She was, oh, it's so great. He he prayed. He gave his life to Christ. And I was, like I said, I don't know, but I want to celebrate that I might be walking into heaven and seeing my bro there finally with a humble, kind heart, not the violent, angry person that he had become. Because it's never too late as long as your heart is still beating. But know this, there is no guarantee for tomorrow. James tells us that life is a vapor. It's a breath. Everybody go, the Bible says that's your life. It's a breath and then it's gone. People who think they can wait until they're dying are not serious about salvation and do not understand who Jesus is because if they did, they'd be running to him right now. Some of you right now are thinking, well, hey, if it's never too late and I can give my life to Christ when I'm about to die, then I'm just going to wait till I'm about to die and live like hell now because it's too much fun getting drunk. It's too much fun sleeping around. I want to do what I want, go where I want, treat people the way I want. I believe this Jesus stuff. I'm worried about going to hell, but I'm going to wait until I'm about to die. Well, there's no guarantee that you'll have that opportunity, number one. And number two, if that's your heart, I doubt you understand who Jesus is. Because if you did, you'd be turning to him like the man on the cross saying, Jesus, right now, remember me. 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, in the time of my favor, that means there's a time when God's grace is calling you. He says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in, the, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Right now, you're hearing him right now. God's grace is calling you. And now, right now, is the day of salvation. This is the first and only deathbed conversion in the Bible. A deadbeat, violent criminal the first to enter heaven, a lifetime of rebellion, and at a moment, minutes before his death, he is forgiven. Is that fair? No, but that's grace. Grace is undeserved favor. And it gives God the glory. It gives glory to the God of mercy, not to the merits of man. 
want you to write this down. Salvation is received by faith alone in Jesus. This is something that Jesus was declaring. He says, truly today you will be with me. He didn't say, man, if we, if we could just get off this cross and get you baptized, you'd get to go to heaven. He says, man, if you could just get off the cross and pay back all the wrong things you've ever done, then you'll get to go to heaven. He says, if you can fix all the hurt that you've caused, then you might be able to go to heaven. He says, man, if you could just, it's cool, it's cool, I hear you, but I'm sorry, bro, you're going to be in purgatory for about 300 years, cleansing your sins for a while. He says, no, today. He didn't say, if you can join a church, you might go to heaven. He says, if you can just take communion, if you could just give your tithe and your money, if you could just do more good things, he says, no, because all this man had was the mercy of God, and that was enough. He was pardoned before he ever lived a single righteous day. I stand with that exact same mercy, and I get to heaven, and so do you the exact same way, on the back of an innocent man and by the undeserved favor of God. They jeered at him, they hissed at him, they cursed him, they spit on him, cheered at him as he coughed up blood. They roared with approval when someone threw a rock at his tender flesh. It is hellish, it is brutal, it is inhuman, yet there amid the blood and gore that man receives salvation by faith. Here's the last thing I want you to realize that Jesus, the heart of the king, wants to tell us through his response is that Jesus loves to take enemies and turn them into friends and family. I want you to think of somebody that's your enemy. I want you to think of that person who's too far for God to reach. I want you to think of that person who's too evil, who's done too much, who's said too much, who's hurt too much. He says, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me. One of my favorite things that Jesus says in that statement is the word, with me. He says, you're with me now. I got you. Your family. I'm not going to leave you. You're mine. Can you imagine the heart of that assassin? How many lives did he take? How much hatred did he have? How much suffering did he give out? How much pain did he cause? Yet at that very moment, he became a new man. And his past didn't matter. But how? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What a beautiful promise. Can you think of that person who you think has gone too far, who's done too much? I want you to think of the most vile, evil person right now. It's not too far. It's not too late. Just ask any missionary who's led to Christ, any occult leader or any shaman that's ever found their life with Jesus Christ or any sickness or occult person or new ager or any cult person. Just ask any man in prison. Just ask any murderer on death row, any serial killer, any pedophile who met Jesus. Ask them if it's too late. Jesus loves to take our enemies and turns them into friends and family. Just ask me. Maybe that's your story. 
maybe that is why you are so passionately on fire and in love with Jesus. So the question is, who can be saved? That's the question of this comment. Who can be saved? Who can enter into heaven? Well, let's read what Paul says to the Rome church in Romans 10.9. He says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that means that he is king and Lord of all, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means that you understand the death and the resurrection of Christ, you will be saved. He says, this is a turning from sin and acknowledging the king and lordship of Christ. He says, verse 10, for it is with your heart, that's a deep conviction. It is with your heart that you believe. That means you understand who Jesus is and what he's done. And with that deep conviction and faith, you are justified, which means forgiven, just as if you never sinned. And It is with your mouth that you profess your faith that you are unashamed. That means you are unashamed and declare it to others. For a scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That means disappointed or denied access to the Father. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all who richly blesses and all who call on him. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who can go to heaven? Anyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, even a dirty, filthy, guilty, violent criminal being executed. Anyone. And if you already know this, and if you're already his, the next verse in Romans tells us what we should do. The next verse, verse 14, says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Paul is saying this, if you know this grace, you are to share it with anyone who will hear. See, if you are a follower of Christ, this is a message that you must be talking about. So that criminal was a bad man. He lived a rotten, empty, vain life, yet died a follower of Jesus. And if he can, you can too. I'm going to ask the band to come down. It does not matter who you've been sleeping with and where you've been sleeping, what you've been drinking or what you've been smoking or what your hands have been doing. Maybe you've broken every commandment in the Bible. It does not matter. You can know Jesus right now. 200 years ago, there was a hymn writer named William Cowper, and he wrote a powerful hymn, and the words go like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in that day, and there may I, though vile as he, Wash all my sins away. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. See, which criminal are you? Are you the hurting one who's going to continue just to hurl hurt and pain upon others? Or will you be the broken and humbled one who with Jesus crosses 
into joy. It all happened at the cross. Can you hear those words? Truly today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your love, your grace, your mercy. God, you are who you say that you are. Jesus, you are the great king, the I am of all. And I thank you, Father, that you are with us and in us and working to know us. God, I pray there's anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray that they would follow the life of the criminal on the cross with Jesus and they would humbly confess their need for forgiveness and turn to the only one who can redeem us and bring us back home to the Father, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.